Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida. This is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. This week's episode is a two-part conversation between Joanna Schweitzer and Emily Hotho on the characters of Joseph and Moses. Joseph is the final figure in the patriarchal narratives of Genesis, and Moses begins a new story of God at work in the lives of the Hebrews through the Exodus. As two pivotal figures in the patriarchal narratives and the Torah, we thought both characters deserved a full treatment. So this week, there will be two episodes, this one covering Joseph and another one dropping later today covering Moses. Our guest for this episode is Emily Hotho. Emily is the pastor of Skycrest United Methodist Church in Clearwater, Florida. She graduated from Duke Divinity School and worked in the Florida Conference before coming to Clearwater, where she now lives with her three sons, Jackson, Evan, and Liam, and her wonderful husband, me. In this first of two episodes, Joanna gives a summary of the week's readings, and then Emily offers a close reading of Joseph's story in Genesis 37 through 50, highlighting interesting and applicable stories from his life. As highlighted in our prior podcast, our current reading continues to emphasize central themes of blessings and covenants. And as always, this week's heightened drama is sponsored by humanity and our proclivity for rebellious discord. Fortunately, though, we're also reassured of God's steadfast patience and mercy, especially for those who humbly strive to serve him. Here's a really quick rundown. This week's adventure features two well-known heroes. We're introduced to Joseph, who ushered Abraham's earliest descendants safely into Egypt during a widespread famine. And fittingly, our reading concludes with Moses, who later led God's official Egypt exit strategy. A few other noteworthy details this week include Exodus chapter 12, which introduces the rites of Passover, and chapter 13, which emphasizes the concept of sacrificial lambs as a method for redemption, a notable foreshadowing of things to come. In fact, the narrative repeatedly challenges us to consider why a merciful God would seemingly demand blood sacrifices. And you might even find yourself pondering the line between free will and divine intervention. During our limited time together, though, we'll focus a little more on Joseph and Moses. Although it can be tempting to dismiss them as lofty heroes of legend, a closer look at the scripture reveals their humanity, offering us both incredibly relatable and inspirational role models. Hey, Emily, thanks so much for joining. Thanks. So um, I want to definitely get your thoughts on these epic heroes and maybe how those of us today that don't feel so epic can better relate or maybe take something away from it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Uh, To start with Joseph, um, he does not start out such a great hero. We meet him uh, first in these chapters of Genesis 37. He's 17 years old. And we first find out about him because he is tattling on his brothers, right? We read that uh, his brothers are out with the flocks and he brings his father a bad report about them. And then he starts having these dreams where his brothers are bowing down to him and he decides to tell his brothers about that. And uh, they don't like that. They're, you know, flabbergasted. Do you really intend to rule over us? Is this really what's going to happen? And then he has another dream. And do you think that it says, oh, and then he kept quiet because he realized it was better not to brag about ruling over his brothers. No, he tells them again. So clearly Joseph uh, is not always this perfect 
hero character, he starts out um, arrogant and just overly confident of his position as the favorite son. Yeah, he doesn't have the natural leadership skills that we see in some Not of our- yet, no. <laughs> I also think it's interesting that Genesis 37 indicates uh, clearly that Jacob loved him the best, that he was, like, he didn't even hide it. Like, very clearly the favorite child because uh, he and Benjamin, his youngest brother, had come from the favorite wife. And so it says just very clearly, uh, Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born in his old age and he made him this special robe to indicate it. So I mean, kind of dysfunctional all around. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we all have kids and um, like we love them all differently. They're all special, but I can't really think of one out of the three that I love the most. And I certainly wouldn't give tell him a special them that. jacket. <laughs> I give him a special <laughs> jacket that says you're the favorite child. That that would just not be great. So we talked offline a little bit beforehand, and you mentioned that there were some pretty interesting um, indications of the change in Joseph's relationship and his purpose in life, and sort of his acceptance of this leadership role. How, how do you think it changed between when he started off at 17 in the safe, you know, folds of his family and the support system that he was used to, to the leader that we all come to know and admire later in the story? Uh, yeah, I mean, he basically has to be stripped of his robe and his position as the favorite and the beloved and uh, kind of go through these hard times to emerge in a position where God can use him to really save all of Israel from this famine. Um, I think of the people I meet as a pastor, people who come to talk to me about their problems, and you would be surprised, um, many, many Things that people struggle with in adulthood, they trace back to childhood and they either say, well, I wasn't the favorite. I had a sibling who was stronger, smarter, better. My parents liked my brother or sister more than me. Um, Or they say I was the favorite Mm. and I always had to be perfect and all this pressure was on me. Um, so Joseph, you know, I guess kind of grew up with that. He was the favorite. He was the chosen one. He had the special robe, um, but he had to be yeah. stripped of that and uh, kind of go through all these trials and put in this position to where later he was in a position to serve and to lead. Right. God. To be a strong leader through through service yeah. as opposed to arrogance. Yeah. yeah. So what were some other thoughts that you specifically wanted to make sure people considered when they were handling this reading with Joseph? I mean, so many interesting things. So Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers. And just the whole rundown mm-hmm. of how that happens, I thought, was really interesting. I um, I had kind of forgotten all the specifics. We think we know how it happens because it's in these you know, movies and musicals and things like that. But when mm-hmm. I was looking over the specifics, I was reminded that Reuben, the oldest brother, uh, didn't want to kill him and said, oh no, let's Mm -hmm. just throw him in this well instead. And Reuben planned to come back and rescue him Mm -hmm. later. And then it's another brother, Judah, who says, wait, well, let's sell him to these merchants. And they sell him for 20 shekels or 20 pieces of silver, um, which is less than the price of a slave was worth. Mm -hmm. So um, they, you know, like really just undervalued his life less than a slave, but they, sold him and then, you know, dipped his robe in blood and came back and told the father that he had died. 
he's taken to Egypt, he's sold, and he winds up in the household of Potiphar, this mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the chief of staff to the pharaoh. Um, mm-hmm. So he finds himself in he finds himself in that situation, and that's where we start to get this refrain that comes back at least two or three times more in this story. Um, it says in chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And it says that he was put in charge, that the Lord blessed him. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had. He left in Joseph's care everything he had, and he did not concern himself with anything. So that Mm -hmm. kind of idea of you're my second in command, I trust you fully and completely, Joseph. Um, You know, I may be the chief of staff and I may run this household, but you are, you know, essentially equal to me in every way. And then that happens again when he winds up in prison. All those same phrases come back. The Lord was with him. He put Joseph in charge of everything. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success. Yeah. And then those phrases come back again when he's working for the Pharaoh. Like, oh, you are, you know, I may be the Pharaoh, but you're right under me. Nothing is to be concerned because Joseph is in charge and the Lord is with him. Um, Sounds like an ideal employee, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, it does. It sounds like a great employee um, that Joseph was trustworthy, hardworking, um, all of these things. But I think also that refrain Mm -hmm. that the Lord was with him. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we mentioned when we were talking a little bit before the podcast that God is actually not mentioned in chapter 37 or 38, and then just into chapter 39, we start to have God mentioned. It's like God is like the silent actor Mm -hmm. in the Joseph story. Um, But we start to get this theme of the Lord was with him. Yeah. Well, but he was sold into slavery, but the Lord was with him. Well, but now he's in prison, but the Lord was with him. Well, now there's going to be a famine, but the Lord was with him. Yeah. He had to be stripped away from his earth family to really have a chance to get to know his heavenly father. Yeah. I think of the the earliest people who probably would have heard these stories as they passed them down, you know, verbally in their families and in their communities were probably uh, the Israelites uh, living in the desert after the Exodus who were wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years. Um, they would have been hearing those stories of, you know, oh, well, Joseph was in slavery. Joseph yeah. had hard times. You know, it went on for years and years and years, but hey, the Lord was with him. And that might've given them some comfort or encouragement mm-hmm. that even in when it seems like God is absent, God is actually not absent. God is maybe more like the silent actor behind the right. whole story. Right. Using these different circumstances to strengthen or hone us or refine certain character traits that maybe we could use a little help with. Yeah. I also really liked in chapter 40. Mm -hmm. So he winds up in prison because of the whole thing that happens with Potiphar's wife. And he's in prison along with the cupbearer and the baker to the Pharaoh. So those would have been kind of like prison celebrities. Like Mm. I picture like Martha Stewart in prison all those years ago. (laughs) Or like uh, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. Judy (laughs) King. If you watch Orange is the New Black, you've got like that celebrity in prison. And that's why they were assigned a special attendant because they were Mm -hmm. like prison celebrities. And Joseph was the attendant who was assigned to them. And that's how he, you know, kind of got to kind of got to know them and eventually help them to interpret their dreams. And it is let me just look here. Who's who? So the chief cupbearer is the one who has the dream and has like the favorable interpretation. And 
Joseph says to him, you know, hey, when when you get out of prison, you get back, you know, working for the Pharaoh again, remember me and show kindness to me. Mm-hmm. And that's not what happens uh, in chapter 40, verse 23. It says the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. Mm-hmm. He forgot him. Mm-hmm. And that was just such a striking line to me. And then it picks up in chapter 41, the next verse, when two full years had passed. Yeah. Wasn't his time yet, I guess. I guess. So I picture <laughs> Joseph sitting in prison, like when, when the cupbearer got out, Joseph probably packed his bags. It's like, okay, well, I helped him out with that dream and he's, you know, right hand of the Pharaoh. I'm getting out any day. He's going to remember me. This is, yeah. it's all going to be okay now. Yeah. And then to go, well, no guard came to unlock my cell today Oh wow! or the next. And it goes on Uh, for, for two years to feel forgotten. Yeah. Um, a little more humility there. Yeah. (laughs) You're not that awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I found a sermon that I had preached on this, um, years back, that idea of feeling forgotten. And I told some Mm. stories about when various people had forgotten my birthday. I turned 30 right before my middle son was Mm. born and everybody was so worried about when the baby would come and uh quite a few people forgot my 30th birthday and it was uh it was it was a little rough yeah Yeah, it was a little sad you know some of my close friends and people were just so focused on oh the baby the baby um yeah and so I kind of got people thinking about you know have you ever felt forgotten um, you know, something as, as silly as maybe a birthday card or a birthday party, um, or, you know, maybe bigger times where we felt forgotten and, uh, talked about how, yeah. how Joseph would have felt. Um, but then sort of fast forwarded into the new Testament, uh, to the thief on the cross yeah. who says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says today you'll be with me in paradise. Yeah. And there's no doubt. We yeah. Know that's so this idea happen. that even though yeah. the thief wasn't like a good guy, he was going to be remembered. Like we all just want to be yeah. remembered by God. And that although people may forget us from time yeah. to time, things may go wrong, that we are remembered by God. Well, I guess one thing, I mean, we all can identify with being hurt or being abandoned or not feeling valued. And the thing that really struck me though is the tenacity of Joseph. He didn't give up and just wallow away in prison. I mean, right. every time there was an opportunity, he's like, this is the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a good day. <laughs> and he like, I mean, he did make good choices that the whole scenario with Potiphar's wife, I mean, she's pursuing him. She, you know, kind of outright tricks him. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he could have succumbed to temptation. He could have taken that opportunity of someone throwing herself at him and mm-hmm. and he didn't. He stood strong. He told her no and uh, yeah. kind of just did the next right thing. Um, he has a lot of courage. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed to kind of have the long game in mind, um, whereas she seemed to be playing the short game and, and doing what she wanted to do right in that moment. Um, he seemed to be just making the next right choice. And eventually, uh, it got him to a good place. Yeah. So I guess it's a, it's a reminder to us all that you shouldn't look for instant gratification for doing the right thing. It's it's more about the long game of just do the right thing and things will work out. Yeah. It's not ours to know what that is. Yeah. Um, we were talking earlier about, you know, Joseph being this hero. And I love when finally he is working for the Pharaoh. He has stored up all this grain and food to help Egypt get through the famine and then along come his brothers to buy grain and food 
he realizes that it's them, but they don't recognize him. Mm -hmm. And he kind of puts them through like a series of tests. Mm -hmm. Like, do this, do that. Go get your other brother. You know, here's some silver. I'm going to see if you return it. Like, Mm -hmm. it's weird. It's like he's happy to see them. He wants the youngest brother brought to him. But he's not he's not behaving totally respectably or morally. He's putting them through kind of a lot of testing. It's a little a passive aggressive, ta- right? Ba- yes, a little <laughs> passive aggressive. He is taunting them. <laughs> putting them through what they put him through. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm gonna get you back for what you did all those mm-hmm. years ago. Um so even though we've seen Joseph make some good choices mm-hmm. and do the right thing and be this person we can look up to, we we still kind of see him. You know, maybe not yeah. being perfect when he's in, you know, such a such an emotional situation. Families are tough. <laughs> no matter how many yeah. years have gone by. <laughs> yes. This is a dysfunctional Grudges are hard. <laughs> family for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I love how the the Joseph story finally wraps up in chapter 45 and he makes himself known to his brothers. And then Joseph says to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, there will be not plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So he's able to even though he is still hurting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not easy for him. We have three at least examples of Joseph weeping in these last five chapters of Genesis. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard of him crying while in slavery, mm-hmm. while in prison, while being sold by his brothers. Mm-hmm. We, But then three times we hear of him crying, weeping here just because of this, you know, emotional... Reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. family situation, how hard it really is to reconcile. So it's not easy for him. Mm-hmm. But he is able to look and say, hey, you meant this for evil, but God has used it to save lives. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's a good reminder, too, that if we can see the bigger picture or try to see the bigger picture, then it, it makes it easier to attain forgiveness and reconciliation. Because even if people don't treat us well, the circumstances may actually yield a result that was intended by God. Yeah. So that God doesn't, I mean, God didn't sell him into slavery. God didn't make his brothers do that. God doesn't cause these evil things, but God can take it and, and work in it over the course of, I mean, decades, the story went on, um, but that God was able to use it to really save all of Israel. And right, right. Cause it, it it made it possible for really the Jews to be preserved during a time of famine because then he brought his entire family there and they were, they were given a place of honor where they had been just barely scratching out an existence in isolation by themselves prior to that. So there really was a bigger end game. Oh, even yeah. Than Joseph probably recognized. Yeah, I mean, first. it saved not just their whole family, but like, I mean, really that entire community that ends up being the Israelites. Right. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's like, in a way, like God's promise to Abraham to make mm-hmm. a great nation wouldn't have been fulfilled if it weren't right. for all this happening with Joseph. Yeah. So if Joseph took the easy path and had an easy life, who knows what would have happened when the famine struck. So we were talking about uh, kind of the theme of God using evil things and bringing good out of them mm-hmm. as sort of a theme of the Joseph story. And I think forward to the New Testament, there's really no better example of God using evil for good than the cross of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, 
In fact, a lot of scholars would say that the Joseph story points ahead in some ways to the Jesus story. Mm -hmm. Joseph was sold for 20 shekels by a guy named Judah. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver by a guy named Judas. Mm -hmm. They were both hated and hurt by people around them. They were both sent by God to save. And in both of their stories, God Mm -hmm. ends up victorious. Uh, Matthew Henry, um, a pastor and scholar and author from back in history, wrote, he said, Joseph was here a type of Christ. Though he was the beloved son of his father and hated by a wicked world, yet the father sent him out of his bosom to visit us. He came from heaven to earth to seek and save us. Yet then malicious plots were laid against him. He came to his own and his own not only did not receive him, but consulted, this is the heir, come let us kill him. And this he submitted to in pursuance of his design to save us. And so I would just encourage um, anybody who feels like your life is a mess right now or you're struggling um, Mm -hmm. to hang on, to not give up hope, to not think that God is absent just because God is working silently. Yeah. Uh, Try to maintain that integrity. Try to hold true to your values, even if you're tempted to maybe. Yeah. Someday, hopefully, all of us will get to the other side of our struggles and say, you know, hey, maybe people intended this for Mm -hmm. evil, but God has used it for good. Well, that does it for part one of our podcast this week. I particularly appreciated how Emily read the text closely, noting reoccurring phrases and narrative changes in the story. It's only after reading the text closely that Emily draws application from it. While on the surface, the application of a text may be clear, when we read the text more closely, we get a deeper meaning and application from it. We'll be back later today with the second part of this episode covering the story of Moses. If you haven't subscribed yet or joined a small group, go to BibleProject2020.com to do both of those things. Joanna Schweitzer produced this episode. I'm Matt Hotho. See you shortly for part two. Thank you.